they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Barbers, but um, there's only one barber here today. <laughs> Terry's under the weather. Uh, that cold has gotten worse over the weekend, and he's, uh, he's pretty sick. He's taking a day of rest. Say a prayer for him that he gets better. We're hoping that he's feeling better and back in the saddle soon, but uh, also pray that he will rest enough <laughs> to get well and not get back in the saddle too soon. So uh, welcome to our Bible study here. We're going to start out here with the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel for the day. Uh, this is um, Tuesday of the first week of Lent. And the Gospel is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. Jesus said to his disciples, In praying, do not babble like the pagans, who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you are to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your transgressions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, this is from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And um, it's interesting because oftentimes we hear scholars argue about the meaning of different things in the Gospel. And well, like Luke presents the Our Father, it's slightly different than what Matthew presents. And What's going on here? Well, Jesus's public life was three years long. And if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you don't fully understand that because it doesn't look in those three gospels like his public life was three years long. But if you read the gospel of John, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for the Passover three different times in three different points of the gospel, indicating that there was a full three-year cycle of his public life. And so he preached all over Galilee. Now, the, the Sermon on the Mount, if you were to sit down and read it out loud from beginning to end, it would take about a half hour. And yet we know that Jesus preached to crowds for days at a time. You know, there was an instance where we have the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. He said, these people have been with me for three days. He'd been preaching and teaching the whole time. Everything Jesus said and did wasn't written down. And... He taught possibly some of the same parables more than once in a different setting with a slightly different audience. And he told it a slightly different way. But it's all still his word. Remember when we talked about the scriptures in the beginning of this Bible study that the scripture really is the word of God. And the church unhesitatingly affirms the historicity of the gospels and that what is written in the Gospels is what Jesus really did and taught while living among men. Yes, for the sake of their salvation, but that's not a limiting statement. 
Everything that he did was for the sake of their salvation. There was nothing that he said or did or taught that wasn't for the sake of our salvation. It's the reason he became flesh. Every breath that he took, every beat of his heart, every step, every meal that he ate, every time he rested, everything that he did was for the sake of our salvation because God became man for the sake of our salvation. There's nothing in the Gospels that Jesus didn't do for the sake of our salvation. There was nothing in his life when he was living among men that he didn't do for the sake of their salvation. So that that statement in Vatican II is not a limiting statement. The church is just saying everything Jesus did was for the sake of our salvation. And therefore, and, and the historicity of the gospels, the church unhesitatingly affirms. So we know the Christ of faith and the Jesus of history by reading the gospels. It is in the Gospels that we are introduced to him. Now, we can come to a deeper knowledge of him, obviously, through prayer. And that's what this Gospel is about. How do we pray? Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're asking the Lord to glorify his name, to hallow his name in us, on our lips, to purify our lips, but also in the world in which we live. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come into my heart. That your kingdom would be living and effective within me and in the world that I live. Thy will be done. That everything that I do be in conformity with your will. Remember, I've said before, St. Francis de Sales says that if you drink that glass of water in obedience to God's will, that you have a body, you supernaturalize that act. When we eat our meals, when we rest, when we work, this is God's will for us. And if we unite that to his will, If we desire to do that in obedience to his will, thy will be done, Father. And of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, even suffering, Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done, Father. Even even suffering comes into the will of God. God didn't make death, and he didn't make suffering, and he did not make sin. God did not make sin. Sin is the rejection of God. It is the rejection of goodness. God is good. And he is goodness itself. And we were made for good, the good and to, to embrace the good and to choose the good. But God gave us freedom because he wants us to love. Robots can't love. God could have made a universe of automatons. But then there's no one to love. Him. No one can love because they just exist and they just do what they're programmed to do. No, God wants us to love. And in order to love, we have to freely choose. So we pray for the coming of God's kingdom. And in every prayer that we pray, we should pray first that God's name be hallowed, that his kingdom that would, would come and that his will would be done. Are we longing for the coming of the kingdom of God? Are we thirsting for it? And even in our sufferings, Christ has redeemed the meaning of human suffering. Yeah, suffering and death came as an intrusion. But you know what? Jesus Christ redeemed its meaning. So now suffering and death become the means by which we are conformed to the will of God. God didn't will sin, but he does will that there be expiation for sin. And suffering and death are expiation for sin. And Christ didn't do it all because Jesus Christ can't do all of the suffering in our place. He paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Sin is an offense against God who is real. And that offense is an infinite offense. No human being, not all of humanity gathered together from the very first moment of creation until the end of the world could ever pay the debt to God. 
for the offense that was committed at the original sin. So you see, Jesus didn't do it all. Jesus paid the debt that was due to his father. As God, he could pay the full debt that was due to God because he was God. But we need to do our part in receiving the word of God, allowing it to change us in repenting and believing the gospel, give up our sins and believe the gospel and follow Christ, follow Christ fully and completely. And so all of our prayers should be modeled on the Our Father. And then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Yet we pray for our needs in the present. But that's not just our physical needs. That daily bread that Jesus is referring to is himself in the Eucharist to nourish our souls. Our souls daily need to be nourished. You know, oftentimes we take care of our body as if we have a finality here in this world and there's nothing beyond and we don't have to worry about anything after we die. What about our souls? What are we doing for our souls? You know, I I think we mentioned last week about confession. We were talking about Lent and the idea that how many of us out there, if somebody said to us, well, it's, it's okay if I just take a bath once a year, I'm good. You know, the, the joke up in the country, you know, when the cold country up in the, the north, um, the farmers, you know, the, the bachelors who lived out in the country, I, I took a bath. I took a bath in the fall before the winter sent in and I'll, I'll take one in the spring and don't you worry me about it at all. I'm, don't trouble me. I'm, I'm fine. You know, well, how many of us would do that? How many of us would even consider doing that? And yet how often do we go to confession? So we have this daily bread that, yes, we need to nourish our bodies every day in obedience to God's will that we have a body, but we also need to nourish our souls every day in obedience to God's will that we have our soul. And the soul is immortal. It needs spiritual food. The soul was made by God. And it, it is, God is pure spirit. Man is not pure spirit. He has a body as well as a soul, but we need to take care of both. So the daily bread is not just the food we need for today, we pray for our daily needs, but it's also the spiritual food we need for today, particularly the Holy Eucharist. And that also includes our daily prayer life that nourishes. You know, it shouldn't stop at the Eucharist. It's not like, okay, I went to Holy Communion this morning. I don't have to think about God the rest of the day until tomorrow morning when I go to Mass again. No, 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 no. no, no. We should be nourishing that. We should be remembering that moment of union and and encouraging our body to realize that Jesus came not just for our souls, but for our body too. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. So we've hurt people. We need to ask for forgiveness. And we're asking God to forgive us in the same way that we forgive those who trespass against us. We need to pray for the grace to forgive people when they do things that hurt us. And sometimes people do things that hurt us and it's not even intentional. We just don't like the way they do things, you know? It's like, well, they're not doing it the way I would do it. Well, you know, maybe pray for that person. Put that person foremost in your prayers and say, Lord, you know, the way that person does things just irritates the heck out of me. But what is it all in the eternal scheme of things? So help me to pray for that person and to realize that that person is a child of God, made as his image as a person to be loved also, as well as I am. And I hear that music coming up here. If you have a question or a comment, 888-526-2151. If you want to make a donation to support this apostolate of Virgin Most Powerful Radio, 877-526-2151. And we'll be right back. And we'll do a little more Bible revival here and try to learn the Word of God and let it be effective, active and effective in our lives.
This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, Terry didn't make it today. That cold he had last week took a turn for the worse over the weekend, and he got sicker. So say a prayer for Terry that he um, gets better soon, but that he will rest as much as he needs in order to get better. So we were looking at the gospel for today, Matthew 6. 7 through 15, that was the gospel for the Tuesday of the first week of Lent, and it's the, our Lord teaches his disciples how to pray, the Our Father. And so in the, at the end, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. So we have to ask for that grace to be able to forgive. And, and granted, when people do things, if someone's committed a real injustice against you, you should feel the emotion of anger. Or if you see a real injustice committed against someone else, you should feel the emotion of anger. But when you feel the emotion of anger, you can say, Lord, I feel the emotion of anger. I don't consent to the sin of anger. I don't want to choose anger with my will. So, okay. Now let's look at that emotion of anger. What is it that I'm angry about? Is it really an injustice or is it my pride that's hurt? Because it could be my pride that's hurt. And then I'm angry at the person because they hurt my pride. So we need to step back and take a look. And then we need to say, okay, if it was a real injustice, if it's just my pride, I need to surrender that to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help to be more humble. And to recognize that this is not, it, it just, my pride was hurt and that's why I'm angry. So help me. I don't want to sin here. So help me to get, give me, give me a share in your humility, Lord, so I can get over my pride, but also 
I don't consent to the sin of anger. Now, when anger comes up, the emotion, it produces adrenaline in you. So you might want to do some push-ups or run around the block or um, if, if you can drink wine, if you can drink wine, take a half a cup of red wine, bring it just to a simmer where the steam's coming off the top, add a half a cup of cold water to it and drink that because that will help the body to dissipate the adrenaline. But physical exercise does too. That's why it's a good idea if you, you know, you clean the house or mow the lawn or, <laughs> you know, do some shadow boxing, something, you know, to, to help work out the adrenaline. If there's a real injustice, you have to ask yourself, okay, what was the injustice? What's the proper means and the proper measure to correct it? And is it my place to correct it? And so if it is my place, then I need to take the proper means and the proper measure. If it's not my place, I need again to surrender that to the Lord and say, Lord, have the person who should correct this injustice, make them aware of it. And if it, maybe we can make somebody aware of it that is in the position to correct it and let them know, okay, there's someone under your charge that needs to be corrected in this way, because this is what they're doing. We have to let go of it though. We're not there to force them. We're not there to watch to make sure they do it. We're not that, you know, it's just a, way of correcting to build the kingdom of God. But I don't have to insist on my perfect paradise. I can let go of my perfect paradise because we have no finality in this world and we don't have a perfect paradise in this world. And we will never have a perfect paradise in this world. That's not what we were made for. We're made for heaven. And so Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the church tells us about that last petition, deliver us from evil, that that's a specific petition to be delivered from the devil. That's a specific petition to be delivered from the devil. The devil is real. The church believes he's real. Uh, Jesus Christ believed he was real. He knows he's God. He knew that the devil was real. And he he warned us, you have an adversary. Satan means adversary. But Lucifer was the angel who fell, and we call him the devil. He became evil because he rejected goodness. He rejected God, and he has no love in him. He cannot love. So if we forgive men their transgressions, our Heavenly Father will forgive us. And if we don't forgive men, neither will our Father forgive us. So it's very serious. We need to really um, forgive from the heart. There are some beautiful examples of that in history. And during World War II, there were many people who had a lot to forgive. Corey ten Boom was someone who went around Germany after World War II preaching the reality that we have to forgive. You see, when we don't forgive the hatred that arose out of the anger begins to eat us up and it crowds love out and it makes us ungodly. We are no longer like God. So whatever injustices we've suffered in life, if we allow ourselves to continue to nourish and nurse the the anger and the hatred that we feel because of those injustices, we're not going to get better as a human person and we're not going to help anybody else get better. As a matter of fact, we're only serving the enemy of our soul and our body. He'll destroy both in Gehenna. So we want to learn to forgive, and we want to ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, pour out your precious blood upon us, and give us the courage and the strength to be forgiving people, to, to let go of our own pride, and to humble ourselves before you, and acknowledge our need for your love and your mercy, and then be loving and merciful to others, too. Jesus, in your holy name we pray, and we ask you to help us. So now in the Gospel of Mark, we're at chapter 11, and chapter 11, I'm not going to read the whole thing because on the radio we just don't have a lot of time. So um, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and it's that triumphal entry on Palm Sunday 
where he sends his apostles to go and get the donkey, and they get the donkey, and he comes riding into Jerusalem. This was all prophesied. Jesus Christ didn't just go along and say, oh, I think I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do this. Everything was prophesied, and he fulfilled every single prophecy that was made on his account. Everything that was prophesied about his life, he fulfilled. And so he rides in, and you've got all these people crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. They're, they're, you know, Jesus Christ is the king, and, and he's going to bring the kingdom. And, but they're looking for an earthly kingdom. They're expecting that kingdom, you know, and how often are we looking for an earthly kingdom, a perfect paradise, that there's not going to be any more suffering in the world, that, you know, if we just say, Jesus Christ, I love you, then there's no more suffering and there's no more pain and there's no more trial. Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. He came to redeem the meaning of it. So he enters Jerusalem And he goes into the temple, and he looks around. He goes out to Bethany. And the following day, he comes in from Bethany, and he's hungry. And there's a fig tree in the distance, and he sees the fig tree, and he goes up to the fig tree, and he looks for fruit on the fig tree. And there's nothing there. And he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, it wasn't the season for figs. But the fig tree is also, the fathers of the church tell us, a parable of Israel. The Lord had come to Israel looking for holiness, looking for those who were committed to serving the Lord, to giving their whole hearts to him. And he didn't find it. He didn't find it. And so Israel will lose its place. The people living in Jesus's time, many of them rejected him. And they would lose their place in the kingdom, not because he cast them out, but because they cast themselves out by refusing to accept the kingdom as he brought it. We can do the same thing. Again, the gospel is always a challenge to us. Yes, look at the real historical context in which it happened, because it is real and it is historical, and it has a real historical context. It's not just made-up stories that, that, you know, fiction. The gospels are not fiction. Okay, this is real. And the church says she unhesitatingly affirms the historicity of the gospels. And remember, the scholars are all looking for Q, you know, that that secret source that all of the gospel writers use to draw their material from. Don't tell the scholars. We wouldn't want them to know. We don't want to bust their bubble. You know, they like to do these things. So, but, but let's know this ourselves. We found Q. Q, by the way, is the first letter in the German word for source. That's why the Q. Well, the Q is the life of Jesus Christ his actual life. This is the source that the gospel writers drew from to write their gospels. That's reality. And that's what the church has always taught and believed. And that's what she still teaches and believes. So Jesus curses this fig tree. It's not the season for figs. He's looking for figs, but he's also looking for the fruit of that response to him, that love for God in his people. And we are his people now. Remember, the Gentiles have been grafted onto the tree. We've been grafted on. The the tree is still there. God didn't reject Israel. It was Israel of the time of Jesus who rejected God. And whenever God's people turned to sin, they rejected him. And it's the same for us too in the Catholic Church. Just because I'm baptized Catholic doesn't mean I'm going to heaven automatically. Am I willing to cooperate with the plan of God? Am I willing to allow his love to change me and make me a living image of Jesus Christ? That's what it's about. 
And so they go into Jerusalem and he enters the temple and he's driving out those who are selling and buying things in the temple. And he overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold the pigeons. And he didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Well, why? Because he taught them. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and sought out a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So he's driving these people out of the temple because they're not there to worship. They're there to make a buck. They're there to make a profit. Well, you know, in the temple, you had to offer sacrifice, and the poor offered less, you know, a a dove or a pigeon. Um, The rich could offer a a calf or a, a goat or a lamb. But the money changes are there. They change the money. If people come from all over the world to Jerusalem, it's Passover time. And so foreign people, they have to have their money changed into a currency that can be used in Jerusalem. You know, the bankers, the same one. What do they do when you go to the banks nowadays and you change the money? They take a percentage. But what percentage? And sometimes the percentage is exorbitant. And it, it's more than what's necessary. And also, they were, not, they were charging more than what was necessary for the animals of sacrifice that they sold. And so Jesus drives them out of the temple. There, that, that stuff should have been going on not in the temple, but in the marketplace outside the temple. The temple is a house of prayer for all the nations. Everyone was supposed to be brought to God. And so he drives them out. And it doesn't say here, and it doesn't say in any of the Gospels that he showed anger. There are times in the Gospels when it says that Jesus was angry. But remember, you can, if you know what discipline is, you can administer discipline without showing any anger. It's not necessarily necessary. And the whip of cords, yeah, how is he going to drive the sheep and cattle out of the, the temple? So just, just an aside, something that I've noticed, that this is one place in the Gospels where it doesn't say he showed anger. But the Pharisees are afraid of him. They don't want the people to believe that he's the Messiah, and they don't want the people to accept it. They're afraid because their whole idea of life, their perfect paradise is going to be turned upside down, and they're going to be asked to accept something they're not prepared to accept. So as they they go out of the city, and the next morning as they're passing by that fig tree that he cursed the day before, it's all withered up and Peter's like, Master, the fig tree you cursed, it's, it's withered up. And Jesus said, have faith in God. And truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you receive it and you will. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Again, we have to forgive and we have to believe. We have to trust that God can do the things we ask. But remember, if I'm praying to win the lottery and God sees that that would cause the downfall of my soul and my eternal damnation, do you think really God's going to answer that prayer affirmatively? Any questions or comments, call 888-526-2151. If you'd like to make a donation, 877-526-2151. And I'll be right back.
This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thank you, Jesse. I'm back again here. Terry is out sick. Please keep him in prayer. And especially pray that he will take the rest that he needs to get better really well. (laughs) So um, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 11. We had the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem the crowd is proclaiming him king. Interesting, you know, it, we're going to try and finish this gospel up during Lent here, and um, will be interesting to watch as Lent goes on how that same crowd that proclaimed him king on Palm Sunday, what they were saying on Good Friday. And, and again, we can get caught up in the emotional aspects of our faith, but emotions don't always authentically represent reality. You know, the way I feel doesn't always represent authentically reality the reality around us it's it's an interesting reality our our emotions are a funny thing you know people often think that the emotions are part of the soul well the emotions are part of the body and um they make their judgments based on how they feel and there is a sense in man that that is called the cogitative sense estimative sense in animals and it, it makes judgments based on emotional reactions to situations. And it's interesting, our emotions can actually color the reality that we see. A good example is in a, in a game, a, a, you know, a sports game, a competition. Or for instance, let's say volleyball, and you have two teams playing, and 
there's a shot that's really close to the line, you know. Well, both teams are going to see that shot where it's favorable to their team. If it's favorable to your team for that shot to be in the line, then you're going to see it that way. If it's favorable for the other team that sees that it would be favorable for that shot to be outside the line, that's how they're going to see it. That's why you have a referee. You have an unbiased person who's watching it and can make that judgment. And as people grow spiritually, hopefully they begin to recognize and realize the times when their emotions aren't authentically representing reality. So, you know, it's like you wake up in the morning and you've had a rough day. For instance, let's say when somebody dies and you just, my heart is breaking, Lord, I can't go on in life. And that's the way I feel. And, and that's true. And, and you know what? It's okay to tell the Lord that. But then look at him and say, Jesus, can you fill up the empty place in my heart that was left by the loss of this person that I love so much? And help me to go on. Help me to go on and continue. You didn't take me. You took the other person. So you, you still have a work for me to accomplish in this life. So help me to continue on. So these people who are proclaiming Jesus King, I mean, they're all caught up in the emotion of the moment. Oh, this is awesome. The kingdom, you know, the Messiah, the kingdom of David has come. This is the Messiah has come to us riding on it. It was all prophesied and the prophecies are all being fulfilled and we see this happening. And that same crowd is going to be singing a different tune, crying out different words by Friday. So be careful with the emotions. We can get caught up in the emotion but our emotional response needs to be rooted in reality. And then we have to take our emotions and weigh them against reality. And that's why we need to study our faith and know the doctrines and the dogmas. Okay? Yes, they are important. Our faith is about a personal relationship with God, okay, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and intimate communion with Jesus Christ because he became man. He has a body like us. He had a human soul. He has a human soul, excuse me, he still does, in heaven, glorified, you know, his human body, his soul. He's still, he's still the God-man in heaven. He's still the victim who immolated himself, who now no longer dies, but offers for all eternity his act of immolated love. He is the Lamb of God who was slain and still bears his scars in heaven. He still has his body, and his wounds are glorified, but they're still there. They haven't gone away. And so we need to recognize and realize that our faith is real, but it's not based on emotion. You know, it's not, I don't, I don't know that I've been forgiven of my sins because I've come out of confession and I feel like I've been forgiven. If you go to confession and you don't feel like you've been forgiven, you just lift that up to the Lord in prayer. But do ask yourself, have I been honest? If you deliberately conceal a mortal sin in confession because you're too ashamed to say it, well, you, then your sins haven't been forgiven. And you've added another sin the sin of sacrilege. Confession is nothing to be played with. It's a sacrament. When you go to confession, you're going to Jesus Christ. You're going to the foot of his cross and you're asking him to shed his precious blood and wash you in it. But how can he wash us of our sins if we're not willing to admit that we've sinned? We need to confess our sins. Our mortal sins need to be confessed in number and kind. You don't have to go into a lot of details. Now, if you robbed a bank because someone threatened your life, you can tell Father that. I robbed the bank, but someone was threatening my life. Um, you know, if, if you commit a serious sin, but somebody was threatening you, if you were acting under fear, you tell the priest that detail because that may mitigate your, your personal guilt, okay? But confession isn't based on emotion. It's based on the reality that I acknowledge that God is God and I am not. 
and that God is offended by sin, infinitely offended by any sin. Any sin offends him. But only mortal sin kills the life of God in our soul. That's why it's mortal, okay? Serious moral evil that I know is serious moral evil that I freely choose with sufficient reflection, okay, that I've done with complete freedom. That's mortal sin. Okay, so a person can be doing serious moral evil and not have full knowledge of what they're doing or not do it with full consent of their will. So it has to be serious. You have to know it's serious, and then you have to freely choose it. And if those conditions are there and then you don't confess that sin, well, then no, your sins aren't forgiven. But if it's just, you know, maybe you got a bad cold and you're just feeling miserable and you went to confession and you come out and it's like, you still feel miserable, you know? No, you know what? Confession doesn't take your cold away. It's not going to take your suffering away. You're dying of cancer and you go to confession. That's not necessarily going to take your suffering away. So it's not based on emotion. So that's, you know, the, the emotions are important because they're real and they're beautiful and God made them. But they're, we're supposed to direct and guide them with our intellect and, our, and then our will. So we want to guide and direct our emotions. We want to learn how to recognize the emotional response and then talk, you know, talk to ourselves you know, it's like the body. You know, my taste buds would like me to eat hot fudge Sundays all day. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, Sarks. I'm, you know, body, Sarks. That's the Greek word for the body. I'm not going to do that because if I do that, you're not going to be healthy. You will be very sick and you're not going to feel good at all, ever. So, so I'm going to make sure I eat vegetables and I eat a balanced diet. And I'll have a little dessert once in a while here and there, not every day, not, not, not so much that it's going to damage the health of the body. It's not good for me. So, um, and there's lots of things we do in life that are just not good for us. You know, we, there's a lots of things that we do. It's funny because we live in a world, we live in a pleasure culture that seeks pleasure for pleasure's sake. And as a matter of fact, it seeks pleasure in, in the area, especially of sexuality, and tells people, well, you know, children are the problem in the world and children cause all the problems. So just use contraceptives and then we, can, we don't have to have abortion if we use contraceptives, which is a lie. As a matter of fact, the people who promote abortion, abortion is an industry. Okay, abortion and it's sold. Women who go to clinics and are asking for help are sold abortions. And over 66% of women who go to those clinics are not looking to kill their children. They're looking for some help to take care of their children. And instead, they're coerced or forced into having an abortion. They don't want it. Okay, but if you didn't have the widespread use of contraceptives, you would have no need for the widespread use of the abortion industry. And the abortion industry knew that. So they had to legalize the contraceptives and get a lot of people using those first. And that's, of course, we can't talk about contraceptives because everybody's using them, right? Well, no, not everybody's using them. There are people who have never taken contraceptives in their life. There are people who are open to life and recognize that children are a gift from the Lord, a blessing, the fruit of the womb, and they're not living for pleasure. Their sexuality is an instrument whereby which they make a free gift of themselves to someone for life, their spouse, that's exclusive, they never take that gift back, and is always open to love and life. Love and life go together. And so they're not living just for pleasure. And that's the difficulty in our society. And yet you get people to take these contraceptives. All those people out there who are taking contraceptives, read the package inserts, Find out what the manufacturer is saying about what you're taking and what it does to your body, okay? And even if you're using a barrier method, what does that do to you as a person? Because when you give yourself in the conjugal embrace, you're saying, I am completely yours without reserve. But you're lying with your body if you put a barrier between you and your spouse. 
And people who aren't married shouldn't be having conjugal relations because you're lying, because you're saying I'm exclusively yours and I'm yours forever, but you haven't made that commitment. So with your body, you're telling a lie. And the liar violates himself because he's saying something as true that he knows to be false. So it's interesting how the whole pleasure culture and how the, how the emotion, they get us wrapped up in this, and then we don't even think about what we're doing. And we're not using our intellect anymore to guide and direct our emotions, our feelings. And you know what? We've gotten to the point now where you've got a, a world of politicians who are trying to force us, as the people of the United States who are supposed to have a say in their government, to accept that contraceptive sex is normal and natural, that abortion is normal and natural, that these are rights that people have, that homosexual sex is normal and natural. No, it's not. None of those things are normal and natural. It's not normal and natural for parents to kill their children. Just wake up and hear the reality. It's not normal and natural to be afraid of children or to blame children for all the problems in the world. That's not normal and natural. An adult takes responsibility for their actions. So somebody pasted on Facebook, why does a child have to be killed for the irresponsible actions of the people who conceived it? Yeah, the, the people who conceived the child are not responsible. You take responsibility. You don't engage in sexual activity if you're not married. You can live a chaste life. We can do this with the help of God's grace, but we need to ask. And we do need to forgive. We need to forgive the people who are promoting the lies, but we also need to speak out against the lies. And we need to ask God to wake us up to the reality that we're living in a culture that lies, that's living on lies and promoting lies. And we need to wake up. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. So good people need to wake up Make those holy hours. Go to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and beg him, Lord, we have got ourselves into a terrible mess. We need your help to get out of it. We've bought the lies. We need your help to come back to the truth, Lord. You are the truth. Help us to come back to you. I hear that music. I mean, this time just goes too fast. We're having such a great time here at Bible with the Barbers. You have any questions? 888-526-2151. Thank you so much, and we'll be back in a minute. This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and his bride, the church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and his church, the Eucharist, Our Lady, 
Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you again for joining us. We're on our last segment here. Um, I do have Bible study tonight at the chapel from 7 to 9, please God. Um, And then again on Thursday afternoon from 1 to 3. You're welcome to join us at that, the Bible study. We do two hours, um, try and take a little break in between. So uh, that people can stretch and, you know, take care of things that need to be taken care of. Um, Also, thank you for those of you who do donate and support us. Thank you for listening. Please pray for us every day. We all need prayers and we need your prayers to be faithful. We want to be faithful. We want to finish the race, you know. And St. Paul said, you know, he said, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself may not fall away. So it's very clear in the scriptures that, you know, once we have accepted Christ and even preached about him, there's still the possibility we could fall away. At least that's what the Lord had St. Paul write down. And that was, we believe the Holy Spirit is the primary author of scripture. So we don't believe that St. Paul was lying to us. And, and getting back to what we were saying before the break, you know, the world has lied to us about a lot of things. And we need to come back to Christ We need to live in union with God. That's what we were made for. We weren't made for degradation. We were made for greatness. Sin degrades the human person. Whenever we sin, it degrades us. And and so, you know, here again, Jesus is saying in, in verse 25 of Mark 11, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Forgive. So yeah, the world has lied to us, but we don't 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 hate the people who've lied to us. We pray for them. We pray for their conversion. Our politicians who lie to us are, you know, the people out there who call themselves Catholic and then vote for infanticide, abortion, contraceptives. We need to pray for their conversion. So we want to do that. And that's what the Lord would have us do. That's what forgiving Jesus. He wants to have mercy on everybody. As I live, says the Lord, I do not wish the death of the sinner, but that he turned to me so that he might live. So we want to pray for the conversion of sinners. Me first. Pray for me first. You know? Pray for the conversion of this sinner. Seriously. And then pray for others, too, who are suffering for their faith. People who have been put in prison for their faith. Cardinal Pell, who's been falsely accused. And those who know him, it's pretty clear. And, and it was not... 
there was no investigation. There was simply an accusation, and he was put in jail, and he's in jail now. He's 78 years old. He's served Christ. And yet, if we're going to follow Christ, what did he say? You know, you're going to have to suffer the way I suffered. So let's pray for the grace for everyone to persevere in the faith, especially those who have committed themselves to Christ to being saints, because they will have to go through the trials of darkness and aridity that our Lord went through too. And we have to persevere in that to the end. And St. Paul said that, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself might not fall away. So we have the last part here of uh, chapter 11. And Jesus comes to Jerusalem and the scribes are saying to him, by what authority are you doing the things that you are doing? What are they talking about? Well, he drove the money changers out of the temple. He said, you've made, it says that the temple should be a house of prayer and you've made it into a den of thieves. So what do you, whose authority are you doing this on? And the other things, I mean, who are you to come around here and work miracles and teach people that they have to be faithful to God and that they can't, you know, um, <clears throat> fudge a little on the edge, you know, and just, well, kind of, sort of, you know, I, I love God and I'll burn, you know, offer my sacrifice, but I'm going to go home and treat everybody in my household or everybody around me with less than human dignity, with less than human dignity. And so Jesus says, um, okay, I'll tell you what. You want me to tell you on whose authority I do these things? I'm going to ask you a question. You answer my question, and I'll answer yours. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? Ah, boy, has he got them now. Because why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees rejected John. They weren't willing to accept his baptism because he was preaching repentance. And he said that the Messiah has come. But he wasn't preaching the kind of kingdom they were expecting. So they rejected him. Ah, but the people believed John was a prophet. The people saw how John lived. They saw the evident holiness of his life. And they believed he was a prophet. So if the Pharisees say, well, if we say of earth, the people are going to riot. If we say of heaven, then this guy's going to say to us, well, why didn't you accept him? So they said, we don't know. Well, did they not know? No, they're not going to publicly say because the reality is they didn't want John's baptism to be from heaven. So was it heavenly or human? They're not going to say because if they say it's human, the people are going to know they're liars. And if they say it was from heaven, then they're going to be called on it. Well, why didn't you believe? And again, when we're called to repentance, we're caught in this trap sometimes So what? Humble ourselves. Lord, give us the grace to be humble in that moment and to say, you know what? I sinned. You're right, Lord. I rejected your word and I chose sin instead of you. But you know what, Lord? You shed your blood for me. Remember the price you paid for me, Lord, and don't let it be lost on me, but wash me in your blood and give me the courage to stand up and to witness to the gospel. And so Jesus tells him, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to tell you whose authority I do these things. The authority is obvious. How can a man raise the dead, truly raise the dead? I'm not talking about the kind of thing that witch doctors and voodoo people do. Okay, I'm talking about really raise people. Lazarus, who'd been in the tomb for four days. <laughs> he was dead. Okay, Jesus raised him from the dead. And, and, and he preached the truth. He healed the lepers. He cured the blind. He cleared the lame. You know, and these were total strangers. This wasn't a setup. He wasn't putting on a show. He really did these things. And we have to examine ourselves. 
Where in our lives are we saying, well, Lord, prove it to me? You know, just prove it to me. Now, granted, there may be emotional wounds in our past that make it very difficult for us to trust. You know, I, it's like the Our Father. There are some people who say, well, you can't teach certain people about God as Father because their view of fatherhood is so shattered because their human fathers were less than human and didn't live up to their dignity as fathers. And Scott Hahn had this happen when he was in high school and he was going to work in a outreach, a Protestant outreach in the inner cities. And the leader, the adult leader said, we can't talk to these kids about fatherhood because their view of fatherhood is so shattered. And Scott argued with that man. And he said, no, actually we have to tell them that God is father. Only we, we need to restore to them the true meaning of fatherhood. What does it mean to be father? God is who he is. And if we try and you know present our own human view of who God is, then that's our human view of that's not God as he is. We're supposed to let God speak for himself. He is our father, our father. And I'm sorry if you had a bad relationship, and I really am. I understand the pain that that causes in a human being. I understand the disruption in your psychic development and in your emotional development that that creates, and then the confusion that comes out of that. And you have a world that wants to lie to you about, well, just seek pleasure, and that's the way you're going to assuage all this pain. And, the, and it only makes it worse. No. You need to have a father who keeps his promises. A father, and Scott wrote a book by that title. You might want to read it, Scott Hahn. A father who keeps his promises. God is our father, and he keeps his promises, even if our human father didn't. So ask the Lord to restore your trust and ask him to help you to recognize the goodness and the beauty that is in him, despite what people do. You know, I, my husband listened to an interview with Margaret Sanger that was done years ago, and, and you can just see the pain and the bitterness in her face. She grew up in an Irish village. She was one of 11 children. Her father was an atheist. Nobody in the village, because they were all Catholic, would hire him for any work. So they grew up in poverty. And it seems that Margaret Sanger, I mean, she was a eugenist, and she did want to eliminate the black people from the face of the earth and the Hispanics. I don't know why, what she had against them, because Irish people aren't black or Hispanic, I don't think. Um, but she also wanted to eliminate children, because in her mind, somehow, it was the children who caused the poverty in their family. It's because my parents had 11 kids that we didn't have anything. No, it wasn't. It was because the people in your village weren't truly Catholic. They didn't live their Christian faith. They didn't befriend your father and try and show him through charity that his atheism was a cry of wrath. And that's what militant atheism is, is a cry of wrath. Somebody's angry with God about something. And instead, they ostracized him. And the family grew up in poverty, and Margaret Sanger drew the wrong conclusions. She drew conclusions based on her emotional response to life. And they weren't true, and apparently she never weighed them against her intellect. And so she broke the law all kinds of times. She was willing to go to jail all kinds of times to forward her agenda of destroying children and making abortion and contraceptives legal and acceptable. Do we have that kind of zeal for Christ? Where is our zeal for Christ? You know, the worldly are wiser in dealing with their own than the other worldly. You know that there were 26 million martyrs for the Christian faith in the 20th century. Yes, I said 26 million 
martyrs for the Christian faith, people who died for their witness to Jesus Christ in the 20th century. The blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. Cry out to the Lord that the blood of martyrs be poured out upon us to bring us back to Christ, that we not harden our hearts like the scribes and Pharisees who saw the truth before them and refused to accept it because it wasn't convenient to their agenda. Lord, I renounce my perfect paradise. I'm willing to be in the play the way you wrote the script, even if it hurts, even if it means I have to die to myself, to my own ideas and preconceived notions. That's what has to die. My false ideas, my preconceived notions, my emotional perceptions of life that lie to me, by the way. You know, sometimes when girls... um somebody attempts to rape them, they make up their mind they're not going to be that little girly girl that somebody can take advantage of. So they choose to be masculine or boys whose first sexual experience is with another man or, or who didn't have a strong father. They don't know what it means to be a man. And so they don't know how to be a man. And so emotionally, they didn't develop. And now they're making decisions and they're not happy It doesn't bring them joy. It doesn't bring them peace. It might bring them pleasure, but it doesn't bring them love. So we need to pray for each other. We need to pray that we will be faithful to the gospel, that we'll have the kind of zeal that people like Margaret Sanger and Nancy Pelosi and George Soros, who want to destroy life and want to destroy everything that's good in this world, that they have. There's lots of others too. And pray for their conversion. Pray for our own conversion. And that music's coming. It's time. We're done for the hour. This is just, where did the time go? But it's so beautiful to read the Word of God. The Word of God is living and effective. Read it. Let it change you. This is Lent. Turn back to the Lord. Go to confession. Go to Holy Communion in the state of grace. Live in the state of grace. Stay in the state of grace. If you can make a donation, 877-526-2151. And even if you can't financially support us, you can spiritually support us by offering your prayers, works, joys, sorrows, and sufferings for this apostolate. Virgin Most Powerful, please pray for us. May all of you have a blessed day. May you grow closer to the Lord in love, and may you know that you are loved, that you are beautiful and good, made in God's image as a person to be loved, and you are precious and dear to Him. God love you. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg Thee on behalf of the whole Church, Granteth love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.